I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, on this episode, we're going to speak with a professional who has bought and sold several different businesses and a really interesting story on his business broker, who was a doofus that he ended up giving $80,000, all that and more next on The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back. This is Dave Kittle on The Dave Kittle Show, and I'm the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently partnering with practice owners and acquiring some or all of their practice in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have Mike Finger on the show. He's an entrepreneur, a business coach, and much, much more. We're going to get into his history of buying and selling businesses, all that coming up next. Uh, Mike, first of all, welcome on. Thanks for your time. And tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Hey, Dave, thanks for the opportunity. I am a recovering entrepreneur. I have been lucky enough to own eight businesses in my career, successfully sold four, failed twice and still own two. It's been a... uh, it's been a great ride. I've learned a ton and uh, it has it created my relationship with this topic of, of selling a business. I am a uh, started my first business in the mid 90s. My wife and I cut our dining room table in half to make two desks and started serving clients out of our living room. It was a uh, an exciting ride. I found out I'm a bit of a growth junkie and uh, woke up you know, a dozen years later and found I had 50 full-time employees between two operations and realized that they were all trying to kill me. So it was time to do something different. And that's when I had my moment that I have since learned is the most common introduction that small business owners have to the topic of selling a business. We wait, we're ready And then we call up a broker and they say something similar to what they said to me, which was uh, not enough cash flow, too owner dependent, started ticking off the common problems that we have as small business owners when it comes to sellability and essentially said, give me a call in three years after you fix these things. It was like getting smacked across the forehead with a two by four. I was burnt out, ready to do something else and uh, did not have a path forward. So it was my wake-up call, one that uh, I have since found that many, many, many owners have had. Thankfully, my my path turned out okay. Awesome. Very interesting. And I know in the pre-interview, you said ownability is sellability. So I want to come back to that. There was also a blog that caught my attention on your main website on exitoasis.com. So you guys should definitely check that out if you are a practice owner that wants to get more information. There's a lot of really uh, interesting and entertaining stories and blogs on uh, Mike's website. But the one that caught my attention, Mike, was my broker was a doofus, so I gave him $80,000. So in a brief recap of that, maybe a quick you know hook or an anecdote from that, 
what was that about? You know, if a practice owner, a physical therapy practice owner, a healthcare business owner hears that, if they're listening to this show and they haven't yet come across your your blog and your website, that sounds, you know, either terrible or the business owner would have a lot of questions. It obviously caught my attention. It's going to catch a lot of people's attention. My business broker was a doofus. So I gave him $80,000. That's right. What, hap- it, what, what happened there? All right. So I introduced my story. I, I'm 10 years in. I start changing the business. I start trying to figure out the difference between what I thought happened when somebody goes to sell a business and what actually happens, what a buyer actually wants. I'm five years later, I'm listing the business for sale because we finally had addressed those things. And this is a weird story for me because after I sold, I actually went to work as a business broker for a year. So I am uniquely aware of how difficult that job is and how absolutely nutso we as small business owners go when it comes to the process of selling our business, right? The incredible mis-expectations in terms of value, you know, unreasonable expectations. It's just, we do goofy stuff. And so I'm sure I brought some of that to the table. But when I talk about my broker being a doofus, it was the kind of thing, uh, Dave, where I would I would call him up with a question and I would say, hey, you know, I'm curious about this. And he would give me and he would right off the top, he'd, say, he'd give me an answer. He'd say 17, 17. OK, and I'd hang up the phone and I'd that didn't make any sense. And I'd call him back up. I'd start doing the research on my own or call somebody actually knew I knew and found out that the answer not only wasn't 17, but was Tuesday. I mean, he just just complete misses in terms of information, complete ineptitude when it came to the interactions, just dumb stuff. And you know what, Dave? He introduced me to my buyer and I sold my business through it. So it is just, it's this weird dynamic where I don't use his name. I I would never refer someone to him. But the ironic thing was, as I signed up with him as a broker, because he was pretty good at communicating and he was a decent networker, which is part of the reason why he kept contact with me and why I ended up talking with him and signing with him. So like the rest of us, strengths and weaknesses But uh, the reality for me is I wrote that check to him with a fairly large smile on my face because the check I was getting from the deal was substantially larger than what I was paying him. So for those that are out there, I mean, you know, this is an example of where personal experience for me, there's simple ways to address this issue. What is it? I recommend that every owner meet with a broker once a year. Have the conversation, talk to a business broker, say, hey, I'm I'm exploring the sale of my business. What can you tell me about valuation? What can you tell me about process? And every broker I know will be thrilled to have that conversation, even if they know you're just kicking the tires on the idea. And so you do that. And then the next year, do it again with a completely different broker. And after three or four years of meeting some different folks, you're going to learn more. You're going to have a different context. So again, my business broker was a doofus. He sold my business successfully. And uh, I look back and I still get a goofy smile on my face when I think about it. So I guess no critical harm done. 
Now, when you went through that experience, was that the first business that you sold? That was the first business. Yep. And just for context, without mentioning any names, was that the first broker you had interfaced with or maybe the second or third? Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, when I went through that, that initial exploration, I know I talked to a couple, but I talked to them rather frantically as I was attempting to find my, uh, my ladder out of the pool, so to speak. And, uh, this was the guy that, like I said, had the networking skills, the tenacity to follow up and keep contact. And so again, an important skill for a broker to have. And that I just gave some of the dumb stuff. It's just, uh, yeah, he was a doofus. Is that, uh, you know, part of it is, like you said, a learning process. If owners, you know, wait too long, they have to start somewhere. So even like you're saying proactively go out there early, maybe, you know, retain brokers, work with a broker, kind of test the market, maybe even before you're ready. But if an owner is later in their career, they still could be starting that today. It's it's never too late unless the whole business is completely built around themselves. Then it should be somewhat obvious and evident, right? Obvious and evident. I think we miss it all the time as owners. I think we get so used to being that person who knows where all the left-handed erasers are, who keeps the thing running, who steps in to the point where we don't even realize we're doing it. We carry our businesses on our backs for so many of us. And that's good. That's how we survive. But the problem is, is that we continue to do that. And so when it comes to this topic, I mean, that's, that's the core of what I learned from, from that first exercise for me, from the, the changing of the business. And we talked a little bit about this beforehand is that what I came to realize is that we spend by we, I mean, collectively as small business owners, we spend most of our time in this topic area in the complexity. I know owners who have sat through the four-hour employee stock ownership program uh, presentation at the accountants, and their business doesn't make any money, right? We somehow have come to believe that there is a mythical reality of, about selling our business that transcends what it means to own the business. And that's just not true. The data says it's not true. The sales statistics say it's not true. How do we sell a business? We figure out how to answer yes to these three basic questions. Are your results desirable? Can a buyer duplicate those results? And can you document your results? That's it. That's where us as small business owners should be spending 99% of our time when it comes to this topic area. Until you can answer yes to those three questions, don't bother learning about the multiples. Don't worry about what the process is working with private equity. All of those things are secondary to simple answers to simple questions if you're serious about selling the business. Did I answer your question, Dave, or did I crawl down a rabbit hole? No, right on. Got it. Perfect. How about in the pre-interview, you mentioned ownability is sellability. So what's that about? That's about the fact that what a buyer wants when they look for a business. And when I say, what does a buyer want? 
I'm talking about the average buyer, the most likely buyer for a small business. And the most likely buyer for a small business is an individual that looks an awful lot like the current owner. And what that buyer wants from that business isn't all that fancy, right? They want to earn a living and they need to make payments on the debt they incurred to buy the business. If your business can't do that, it's not sellable, right? You don't have sellability. But you also probably have a fairly lousy ownability reality as well, right? But the three questions, are my results desirable? What are you making, right? Are you bringing in a decent income? Is there a bottom line that contributes to the growth of the business that makes it worthwhile for you to do? Nothing fancy here. Desirability means if I look at what you have, do I want to get some of that? That's ownability, right? What else do we look for in a business? We want some freedom. We don't want to be completely tied down to that business every minute of every day. That's the second question. Can a buyer duplicate your results? Are you replaceable? If you're not replaceable, if the results are a function of what you do, you don't have a positively ownable business. You are like so many of us are, you know, we're the pack mule carrying this thing step by step up the mountain. So that's the ownability, sellability back and forth. Again, the problem is, is that as owners, we tend to disconnect. I'll figure this sell thing out when I'm ready to sell. And what we forget is that our business needs to beat us to sellable. Our business needs to be ready before we are. Because some of these things we're talking about, two, three, four, five years, right? What does it take to build a track record of profitability? It takes a profitable business year after year after year. And so I'll sit down with an owner, I'm ready to sell. And it's, you don't have a business that a buyer would be interested in buying. So we got to change that first before we can talk about any of the other stuff related to sell. Ownability is sellability. Do you find that clients or small business owners, maybe there's like an ego component where they feel like they're the ones that have to do everything, or maybe just the way that they've always operated, that's the way they got the business off the ground in the beginning. And then great the, first, the first couple of years, that's how they operated. And then that just became like, the daily, monthly, quarterly, yearly habit. And then it just became like, oh, now you're in business for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And they've just like always done it that way. So whether there's some ego and or, I don't know, behavioral repetition, what type of commonalities do you see with clients or small business owners that kind of end up like that? And then they they kind of wake up, they read a blog like yours, 20, 30 years into business. And they're like, oh man, like I thought I was ready to sell. They're ready to sell. Businesses are not ready to sell. Is it ego? Is it just you get in a rut and you just keep pushing forward? Any thoughts, any comments around yeah. that? No, I love that question. It's such an important question. And the answer is really frustrating. And you alluded to it. Um, most of us start businesses uh, under-resourced. And so we rely on the one un seemingly unending resource we have, which is our own time and ability. That's right. Me, me, me. Right. And you know what? The people who want to tell small business owners who are starting out that they shouldn't do that, 
I don't get them. I don't understand them because I didn't come from a place where I had money overflowing out of my pockets. That was the only way I was going to start that business is working my rear end off 12, 14 hours, seven days a week, reliant on me. Okay. I love that temperament in small business owners. I think it is a, it's something to be admired because there's no way most businesses get off the ground and grow through those initial stages without that. And then that same approach that saved us starts to kill us. It starts to choke the business. It starts to restrict the growth and it starts to kill this exit ability that we're talking about. So the very thing I needed to survive is now starting to kill me. And the problem is, is that that moment of self-awareness is hard to come by artificially. It usually comes through a moment of pain, like my interaction with the business broker when he said, sorry, buddy, I can't help you. Or that employee that you want that left, or it's this moment where you go, I can't do the 12 hours a day anymore. Now I can only do eight or it's, we start to realize something and it's usually a pain point, right? Something happens that makes us realize that, but for too many owners, that's their moment of, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to sell. What do you mean? I can't sell the place gets shut down. I mean, the failure rates, we've all heard about small business owner failure rates, but best numbers I can see is that less than 20% of small businesses will ever sell successfully. And so you look at those numbers and then you look at the numbers of small business owners that are planning on the sale of their business to fund their retirement. And those things don't align, Dave. Those numbers are not the same. And so there's a huge problem. There's a huge gap of understanding. And it creates financial chaos for many small business owners when they learn this too late in the game. So part of there was no for these small business owners, they they didn't understand or realize that they have to change or transition over time from grinding and hustling to getting the business off the ground. But over time, delegating outsourcing, whatever might be bringing on team members, training, onboarding new team members, getting themselves out of whatever the function is like. So in with physical therapy, so it's, we see really big differences with practice owners who have a practice where they're out of treatment care. Maybe they're only treating one or two days a week versus practices that the practice owner is seeing the most completed visits per week compared to any of their staff members. Sure. So that, that individual is great example. That individual needs your <laughs> your services or your blog sooner because they're they don't know what they don't know, or they're they're still in that initial grind hustle phase, which then transitioned or hasn't transitioned. It's just like that became how they operate and they love treating patients and they love the profession and all that is great. Yeah. But then that is great. But they have to realize that it doesn't matter who us or some other buyer, we would have to replace that revenue production, which is why most of the corporates that if they buy a practice like that, they're going to ask that owner to stay on and treat that volume for the next three or four or five years. And if they want to get out right now, then there's a big hit to the offer. And that's where it goes into 
when they're really shocked and surprised and they're they're really um maybe then the frustration or the embarrassment or the anger sets in from finding themselves in this situation of their own making ultimately right because we are we're the ones that build this house as the small business owner it, it david such an important point and and to be clear i ultimately don't care what choice the owner makes right i'm not a broker i don't work on commission if somebody if, if we start working on a business and they fall back in love with their business which has happened several times with clients i'm working with and they go I'm going to own this thing forever. Fabulous, right? The example you used, if I love doing physical therapy, I love interacting with the patients, you keep doing that. And if that's the path that you're on, now we now we can take a look at a different scenario, right? Time to get an administrator. We've got to we have to make you less critical to the business in one way or the other or we have to recognize that you're not creating a practice that you can sell, which is a really fine choice for you to make as long as then you're recognizing that a sale isn't in your future, right? It's that informed consent thing. I, I talk with owners who own a lifestyle business. This is what they want to do. Fabulous. They're answering no to the first two or three, two questions of the three questions which means they're probably not going to sell that business. But if they love it while they're doing it, fabulous. But the problem is, is so many owners, they assume that this place sells. They assume that that is the end of their path. And it's just not. I mean, sometimes when I'm in this space, I think we would be better off as owners going into this, assuming no sale. Because that's what the odds tell us is probably going to happen. And why do I advocate for that? Because now I'm, I'm setting up the simple IRA or the 401k or the, the college fund or the, I'm realizing that my financial well being is likely to be unrelated to the sale of the business. Or if I want to have that transaction take place, I'm going to start engaging it seriously and intentionally. And by seriously, I don't mean spending 20 hours a week on it. I encourage owners earlier in that process to take an hour a month, a lunch, one lunch hour a month, and set it aside for their exit exploration. Just that. Just put it on your calendar. Take yourself out to lunch and read articles about this or listen to a podcast or do Whatever it is, do something that starts feeding this part of your understanding and knowledge, and you're going to start to get those peaks at what might be wrong with your business relative to sellability. So again, I have come to believe that the question that is, or the word that's most critical in this, in this space is intention. Do you have the intention to create a business you can sell? Everything else comes after that. Awesome. Do you, in terms of tips or advice or suggestions to any practice owner, any business owner listening, do you suggest that they first reach out to a broker? And then I guess if the broker evaluates and, and does, does an assessment on the, on the business, if the broker deems or has some hunch or belief that the practice is not sellable, then they would need to go and either change that themselves over X amount of period of time, work with some advisor, coach, consultant, whatever it might be. 
Let me they, let me jump in there a second, Dave. It's not as easy as calling a broker because unfortunately there's great brokers out there and there's lousy brokers out there and there's unethical brokers out there. There's brokers out there that will take your listing, that will tell you that they can sell your business even though they know they can't or even though they know they can only sell it for 20% of what it is that you said you want as the bare minimum for the sale. It's why when I talked earlier, it's talking to a couple brokers. It's talking to a couple folks that have sold before. This is a, an ongoing relationship with this topic. If, if somebody calls you up tomorrow and says, Hey, I got a lousy diagnosis. I got to get rid of this place right away. Yeah. You pick up the phone and you call the broker and you look for a referral to, to somebody you know is going to give you an honest answer. Yeah, that's obviously a path that you can take. But if you've got even a little bit of time, you got to take a step back, call the broker, but also call someone else and read something and start to engage this topic in a way that's going to help you. Because even that broker, I've never met a broker who looked at a business that didn't see some way that business could be better or easier to sell or something that could be tweaked, right? There's always opportunities. There's things that are so easy to fix before a sale that during a sale get really complicated to fix, right? And so it's like, why didn't I take a look at this a month ago? Why didn't I clear out that back office a month ago? Why didn't I, these collections of decisions that we've made over the years as owners that just start to pile up? But I mean, what do you see in that respect? When you're, when you're talking to the practice owners who are open to this conversation, are you finding that you're usually the first conversation or have they, have they explored it with others, with the broker, with other buyers? Yeah, we, we definitely speak with practice owners and sellers and, and their, their broker slash advisors and at all different phases. So sometimes we're one of the earliest or what kind of feels like. This is like the practice owner's initial touch point or conversation, the initial conversation with a potential buyer. And then there's other either brokers or advisors that maybe are just way more experienced or the seller has already been thinking and doing the things that you mentioned. Like they've already consumed a lot of content. They've already understood. Here's pretty much the cadence and the and the things on. Here's what we're going to talk about. They don't seem... They don't seem nervous. They don't seem anxious. So we interact with different sellers at all stages. Sometimes they are reaching out to me through LinkedIn or from the podcast sure. or whatever. So the practice owners are reaching out to us and they don't have a broker or advisor. We have a, a practice under contract right now. And the whole negotiation is via the practice owner and their attorney. So there's no broker or advisor involved. It's really a mixed bag in terms of what we're seeing. And and there's no like there's pros and cons. There's certainly it's certainly good to have someone in your corner, wise counsel, and it could be your lawyer or an accountant that you've known for 15 years, or it could be a lawyer or an accountant that actually specializes, ideally specializes in helping prepare your business for sale. Could be a broker or advisor. One thing I was going to ask you. With brokers, we've had a bunch of different brokers on the show and that I've interviewed. And 
Some charge a marketing fee or listing fee and some don't charge any dollar up front and they only make money when you, the business owner, exits the business and then they get paid. So I think that would also be a caveat for someone watching or listening now that if they go out there, there's different arrangements, there's different... And within that, like you said, some brokers will just maybe list any business and say that they can sell it when they know that they probably can't. And then there's other brokers that will only work with you and spend time with you if they believe that they can truly sell it for market rate. And maybe they're going to kind of pick the businesses that are actually sellable. So how how could someone navigate that? How could a, a practice owner or a business owner navigate that and kind of weighing the pros and cons of some of the fees or some of the dollars that they'd have to pay to work with some of the brokers versus other brokers or advisors that are only, maybe they have more of a rigorous upfront vetting process. I don't know, but they will only onboard or take on certain clients where they know those practices or businesses would be sellable. Right, right. I don't know that I could eliminate one model or the other just on its face. I know good brokers that I refer to who charge an upfront fee. And I know good brokers that I refer to that are purely success fee based, right? So I don't know that the model itself is uh, exclusionary. I think ultimately it depends on what that owner has to sell. You know, if you're unclear, if, if your business is hit or miss, I mean, the numbers say about 20% of businesses that are listed for sale with a broker will ever actually sell. So just getting to that listing doesn't necessarily guarantee success. In fact, numbers show the otherwise. But to your point, there are brokers and I've seen there, I've seen very clear the websites that just call it out, they say, we have a 95% plus success rate with the businesses we sell. You think, oh, well, these brokers must be great. And then they show their greatness in the next paragraph. And how do they do that? They say, we will only work with businesses that earn over a million dollars in profit that are fairly priced relative to multiples that, right? These these very clear expectations for the business, which then translate to a really high success rate in their selling of businesses. There's a message there for us as small business owners. Maybe selling our business has nothing to do with the broker and everything to do with the business that we've built. Hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So in regards to your work with small business owners and and practice owners in this similar type of realm in terms of service-based businesses or this kind sure. of size and scale, what are some additional hurdles or barriers or obstacles that they're potentially facing at this point that maybe seems like, for example, COVID and the the, the change that like that happened to most business owners and it wasn't anything that they necessarily did. So for example, we're speaking with practice owners that that are saying, you know, if it weren't for COVID, we would have been, you know, another 10 or 20 or 30% ahead of where we're at right now. Sure. What, what are some, and then there's, you know, there's changes in economy, 
the interest rates are still not out of control, but they have been rising. So there's market forces, there's changes in the economy, which can affect decision-making with their business, with their transitioning, their retiring, their offloading of risk or or unlocking their net worth that is probably tied up in this business. What are some other challenges or obstacles or, or barriers that you see for business owners that maybe seem like for them, it might seem right now it's the end of the world or it's it's insurmountable, but it's something that is it is possible for them to navigate. I have a frustrating answer, but I think it represents good news for the owners. And my frustrating answer is I think they should ignore all of that stuff. And, and no doubt there's people that'll hear this and go, well, that's crazy. You know, ignore inflation, ignore debt. Yeah, like sure. easier said than done. Right. I mean, and I'm I'm being I'm being a little tongue in cheek. I, I I I'm paying attention to inflation every time I go out to the grocery store. But as it relates to my business, every seller I've ever met makes the decision as an individual to sell the business. Is now a good time to sell your business? Well, ask any business broker, and they'll tell you that right now is the best time to sell your business. Um, well, of, course, the, of course, the broker is going to say that, right? Right. The rates <laughs> have never been. There's always going to be something, right? There's always going to be something out there that is discouraging for the sale. But the truth of the matter is, and smarter people than me said this to me years ago, a good business will always sell. A bad business will never sell. Okay, so I don't care what the SBA program is. Did some deals get funded because of certain opportunities that wouldn't have been funded six months beforehand? Sure, there are those open windows. But most owners that I know don't want their exit to be based on a short-timed open window. I'm big on being ready to be ready. I'm big on building that business so that you can make the decision to serve your changing reality. Because the truth is, is that we're all one phone call away from needing to sell the business. Sometimes it's the ugly diagnosis. Sometimes it's the wonderful opportunity that requires us to, you know, go across country. Both of those phone calls require the sale of the business. I don't want to have to worry about inflation or here's here's another classic one. Dave, you've heard of the silver tsunami, right? The fact that all of these business owners are aging and there's going to be this massive number of sales. But the problem is, is if you research that, that story was being told 20 years ago, too. And the truth is, is that each of those individual owners is making an individual decision. So, again, I. I don't mean to frustrate the question. It's a it's a fair question and a good question. But my message is that owners need to ignore that complexity stuff and focus on what it is you can do in your business to make it so that when you're ready to sell, they all just line up the attorneys, the accountants, the brokers, because you have a sellable business and they want to jump on board. And then who you know who else jumps on board? The buyers. Because a good business is a good business, whether inflation is at 7% or at 4%. Love it. So the recap of the three questions, are my results desirable? 
Can a buyer duplicate my results? Number three, can I document my results? So documenting more about standard operating procedures and SOPs, right? Yep. There's that part. There's also the uh, the financial reality that sometimes owners have income that doesn't make the books or they don't treat this topic as important. They've got the uh, proverbial shoebox with receipts under their desk. This is, if you can't prove it to me, it, it didn't happen. And I could tell you stories for the next seven hours of owners who pulled me aside and said, these aren't the real books or the stacks of cash or, you know, that's all entertaining and fun and stuff. But as a broker connection said to me, not all that long ago, you can't steal it twice. So get your house in order. Can I document my results? If you can't prove it to me, it didn't happen. Love it. I think that's a perfect place to pause. Everyone should check out, if you're listening and watching this, then a complimentary or a perfectly uh, supplemental resource, exitoasis.com. And I love this tagline at the bottom of the website. So you're on the website. If you're visiting the website, you're here because you want to learn about creating a business you can sell when you want to. Understandably, this topic might make you nervous. Please don't be. I'm going to make it simple. And that's from Mike Finger on ExitOasis.com. So Mike, what's a place, whether it's email, LinkedIn, your website here, what's a good place for the audience to connect with you, to learn about more of what you do, how you help business owners and your your services and resources? Uh, the website's a great resource. Honestly, though, I push them to LinkedIn. I'm real active there and uh, love to love to connect and uh, engage small business owners in this topic. So physical therapy practice owners, I strongly urge you to connect with Mike on LinkedIn. He posts a lot of awesome uh, graphics and posts, uh, I think multiple times a day, it seems like that uh, really resonate. And I think it certainly can help you understand this process and and kind of navigate it because you have to start somewhere. And the more, like you said, Mike, like the more repetitions, it could be blogs, it could be podcasts, it could be YouTube stuff, whatever it might be. The more repetitions that business owners get, the I think the more prepared they're going to be and less nervous, less anxious for whenever that time comes. And I love specifically, I love where you're saying business owners, they get to the point of ready to they're ready to sell their business, but the business is not ready. So it's like it's kind of like you help business owners do the, the reverse, which is get the business ready and then you can sell it if you want to, but you don't have to. Right. So you might not be ready to exit, but you are helping business owners grow, scale, and then you have probably more time freedom, probably more money freedom at that point. And then you have the decision. The business owner has the decision of, do you want to exit? Do you want to sell it? Or do you want to retain it while it continues to operate and you have other team and delegation, all that? So really interesting stuff. I had a client uh, last year who sold to a private equity firm and the magic of his negotiation was that he was able to honestly look across the table and say, I don't have to sell this thing. I'd be happy to keep it. Um, and how much, how much leverage do they have? In oh that man, situation? there ain't nothing like that when it comes to uh, negotiating, right? Because he truly was going to be fine either way. So, in in fact, it was a tough decision for him to sell because of how well the business was running. What a 
what a great place for any of us to be as small business owners. Well said. So if they just search Mike Finger on LinkedIn, F-I-N-G-E-R, Mike Finger on LinkedIn, they'll be able to find you. There's probably a handful of them out there, uh, Dave. But yeah, I, I'm confident uh, you, you look for Exit Oasis or uh, Mike Finger on LinkedIn, you'll be able to find me. And I, I think it'll probably work if you search on LinkedIn. If you search Mike Finger Exit Oasis, then you would pop up first. Sure. Probably the best way to do it. Mike, thank you so much for your time. This was uh, very helpful and I hope enlightening and valuable for the audience as well. I'm sure it will be. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks again for the invite. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.